are going to do the most important thing we do at Sorovile, and that's read the Bible. Um, we're reading from Luke 17, verses 7 to 10. Suppose one of you has a servant ploughing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Won't you rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. All right. Thank you so much. Hello, everyone. Um, we've already done introductions. I have an introduction bit here, but done introductions. I'm Jacob. Um, when I heard I would be preaching on the passage of the dutiful servant, I was stoked. Uh, firstly, because it is one of my favorite parables. Uh, but secondly, I love Jesus's attack preaching. What is this strange category of teaching I have just made up? Well, it's the teaching that Jesus does that rocks us to our core. It fundamentally changes the way that we live and think. It humbles us and realigns us to God's good intent for our lives. For those of us who are living contrary to it, it can be prickly, it can be offensive, it can be raw and unfiltered. I think the reason potentially that I like this kind of teaching is because these are all words that could be used to describe myself, but that's probably beside the point. Strap in, hold onto your hats, and be prepared to hear what God has spoken. The parable of the dutiful servant is a short parable. It's only found in the book of Luke. Despite this, and despite only appearing once and being very short, it is still one of the punchiest and most challenging parables that I've come across. It is structured as a sequence of rhetorical questions followed by the answers. Summed up, verses 7 to 9 are this. A slave is a slave, and a master is the master. The servant will always serve him first and not serve themselves first. But let's dig deeper into that. We can get something more out of it than just that summation, I'm sure. Verse 7. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep, will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Two things to note already. This servant has worked all day. He's likely weary from strenuous work. Two, the day has reached its end. By human reckoning, it's time to come in, eat, rest and recharge. Continuing with the passage, will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, Sit down and eat. Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink, and then after that, you may eat and drink. So this illustration was clear to everyone at the time, and it was obvious. The master does not say to the servant, servant, oh servant, let me make you a lovely meal. Sit down, sit here at the table while I fill your glass with fine wine. No, the master expects that treatment from the servant. The master will bring the servant in from the fields, and there won't even be a question of, hey, sir, 
Today, it was proper hot outside. Do you mind if I serve you in a bit? Have a half hour off. Or would you mind making dinner for yourself? I was going to hit the hay early. Or the best one, hey, master, can't we just order Uber Eats tonight? <laughs> no, it's understood that the servant will serve. In fact, it's just intrinsic to the nature of their relationship. It's understood. It's expected. In fact, it's so understood that the master is not even expected to thank his servant. Verse 9, will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? The actions of the servant are merely his obligation. The servant who worked all day came in and served also. They aren't an overachiever. They aren't a gold star earning servant. They weren't even particularly special. They were just doing their job. What was inherently expected of them because they are servants indebted to their masters and therefore must live their whole lives in servitude of their masters. They were done for the day when their master said they were done and only when he said they were done. Now, remember how parables are worldly stories that help us to understand a heavenly reality? Well, that means that this story is not actually about a first century master and servant. No, this is where it gets a little bit more uncomfortable. No, it's actually about something else. Let's figure out what it is. Verse 9 and 10, will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So also, when you have done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Yeah, it's a lot easier when the servant is being told to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and just buck up, but now it's you. You are being told that your service is, does not end and nor do long days of work preclude you of serving when your day comes to the end. Not only this, but service in your life doesn't end when you decide. It's not, well, I earn a lot of money and therefore I give a lot to God. This is my service. It means I don't have to do anything else. It doesn't mean that that is the part of your life where you serve and then you have your life over here. No, actually, it transcends all the parts of our lives. We are to serve with our whole life. Our parable here is a man who is a servant to his master, wishing to pay off a debt that he will continue to work on and he will continue to work towards his own freedom, earning money to pay off the debt through time served. In this regard, we are actually dissimilar to the servant in this parable. See, Servants are those who have opened an account and are unable to pay it off at the present time due to an unforeseen circumstance. So they work towards closing that account. This doesn't fit our description. See, a servant works to become free, but we are already free. So, why do we serve? If we have already received what we are working for, then why do we serve? Well, we serve as, as an expression of love and gratitude. We serve our God because we are grateful. And it is because we cannot pay our debt that we serve. Our God, knowing that we would never pay our debt, 
and we could never repay our debt. Nor could we even be worthy of his love and goodness as it was before, came down, humbled himself, and died on the cross for us. Our God, the great redeemer, and our God is a great redeemer, and therefore we should show an everlasting gratitude that goes beyond all questioning and transcends all aspects of our tiny little lives. Verse 10 says here that as servants, we can't be confused. We can't be tricked by our own self-importance and our pride. To serve God is not duty, it's a privilege. Do it willingly and unendingly, tirelessly and without grudge or complaint because it is in the same way that your Lord has served you. I love this passage. It's so practical, isn't it? It's so core to our life as a Christian. No ifs and or buts. So it's only fair that while preaching on it, I get practical too. Just like translating this passage from the theoretical servant to our lives was a little bit uncomfortable, applying it is going to be more uncomfortable. But again, remember that it was not in comfort that our Lord served us. And so in the same way, we shouldn't expect to be serving him in comfort. It shouldn't always be comfortable. If you're challenged, good. Listen to that. That's God knocking at the door of your heart and saying, hey, you know he's right. So I'm going to open up with some hypothetical situations. We're going to step into the mind of another person. They're great. It means that we can glean what our hearts would respond in those situations. And from that, we can help to understand a bit more about our own attitudes and with the help of the Holy Spirit, potentially guide those attitudes back towards where they should be. So, hypothetical number one. You are a busy full-time job. Uh, you're a busy person with a full-time job and a family consisting of you, your partner, and according to the census data from 2021, you're 1.8 children. You work a nine-to-five. You travel to. Uh, you're a Sydney sider, so you travel exactly 71 minutes on average every day to work. Factoring in eight hours of sleep, yeah, I wish. Um, that leaves you with approximately six hours and 49 minutes in your day to do everything. Going further, getting ready for work takes half an hour, dinner takes an hour, and the kids require anywhere between half an hour to three hours based on their time, age, and neediness, not even factoring in the millions of other things that we have to do in our lives, that leaves you somewhere between four hours and 49 minutes and two hours and 19 minutes left in a day to do everything else. That's your me time, isn't it? Well... You, as this person, spend your whole life on the move. It's soccer training Wednesday nights. It's for the first child, and then music, of course, and tutoring on Thursday, but dance lessons for the 0.8 child on Monday, and then <laughs> school choir pickup on Wednesday before the soccer training for the first kid. It's non-stop. Even the weekends, you've got ground control at 7 a.m. on that really cold oval, 
and the family function with your partner's side of the family that you don't really like, even though you've been married for 11 years. <laughs> Finally, it's Saturday night church. You are crushed by a huge week of effort and work, and you need rest. You're enjoying your meal, paid for with the money that you earned this week in your long, hard hours of work. Jai gets up on the chair with his big voice. He says, we need some volunteers for the kitchen because there aren't enough. The room goes silent. You left your kitchen cleanup team more than a year back because, well, you don't have the time. Besides, you contribute a lot of money towards the church. You're a successful business person. That's your service. Cleanup is for those who aren't as big and as important as you, and it annoys you that you give so much, and yet Jai still asks for volunteers, and you feel like you're being guilted. He should stand up and say, listen, I want volunteers only from those who give under a certain amount, <laughs> or, alternatively, those who do not have 1.8 children. This person has made a mistake. They've forgotten to serve the Lord with their whole life. They've forgotten the value of their Lord and the value of their debt, the value of his sacrifice. See, if they remembered how truly valuable their God was, they would prioritize their life around him more, serve more, get back on their cleanup roster, and another shameless plug, they do their safe ministry training, even if it takes a couple hours to do, and they do it without hesitation or complaining. Oh, Tim, oh, Tim, it takes too long. It's really annoying. No, they do it, and they get their working with children's check, and then they go on a kid's chill roster. Good on them. They'd help out their brothers and sisters, referring to both the parents and the children. And you know, just tying in some children's ministry theology, they could get on that roster to serve, but realize that they're being served by the kids in the process. I, unfortunately, I put this in specifically for Tim, but he's not here. He's preaching at Ride tonight, so you'll have to, yeah. Can anyone tell he was a lecturer at my college? <laughs> anyway, uh, all seriousness, this person needs to give more of themselves. They aren't even technically the person that this passage is talking about tonight. No, the passage is mainly talking about a different person. Technically, if they were a person in this passage, they aren't the servant who is serving and is thinking themselves greater. No, they are the wicked servant who was too lazy to do anything and so was either put to death or put in jail. Yeah, harsh, isn't it? Seriously. This is a serious message to those of us who might be feeling like that tonight. You can't pay off your debt. And so you can't serve enough to be even. This is true for all of us. But also true for all of us, you will one day sit before the hot seat in the throne of God. And he will ask you, did you not value me in life? Was job I gave you more important? Was the partner and children I blessed you with too distracting? My child, I gave you strength and intelligence to work and succeed. 
Why, why didn't you use those things for their purpose? To glorify me? It's going to be a hard moment for those people. Hypothetical number two. You are a warrior for God. A weapon. A top gun. A maverick. You are known by all the church because you serve in all the different ministry teams. You are the face of servant-heartedness. You know the people I mean as well. We all know the people I mean. Those people who are on fire for Christ, serving 24-7. The kind of Christian that us average Joes want to be like. So, you're this person. Busy as all get out because you do serve everywhere. Now, you spend your week serving. You host the Bible study on Tuesday. You cleaned up the church because you were free this week on Thursday. You carpooled your kids and your kids' friends to youth group on Friday. And then, come Saturday, you're on the cooking roster. Okay. Sunday morning rolls around. Finally. A little bit of silence. A little bit of relaxation. You're not on anything this week. You can just kick back. You're pretty chuffed. You think to yourself, man, I've earned some brownie points this week. (laughs) Then, it happens. It happens. Lisa gets up on a chair this time (laughs) and says, we need people to wash up. You look out among the crowd. No one has answered the call. After about 20 seconds, you see a hand that goes up like this at the table that's like, don't see me, but I'm sort of putting my hand up. (laughs) They get spotted. Still nobody else. As this person who has served so much and given so much of himself all this week, how do you feel? You're looking around, you're seeing this. How do you feel? Pretty annoyed. Pretty irate. Like... Come on, you, I can't believe these people are being unresponsive. I see people in, who are sitting around right now who have been part of the congregation, part of the team for eight months, and they, I, I don't see them serving, and here I am, you know, serving my butt off. It's ridiculous. Well, you wait. You're angry, but... You notice that Lisa has gotten down from the chair. Only one person has answered the call. You think to yourself, that sucks. Goodness, it's not my problem. And then you look back to your plate. You take another bite of your wonderfully prepared breakfast. And then you feel a combination of dread and frustration pass from where Lisa has just tapped you on the shoulder and this frustration and dread flows to every fiber of your being, you turn around, and there she is, about to deliver that killing blow on your easy morning. Hey, I couldn't get anyone else. Do you mind helping in the kitchen? You smile on a shore, Lisa. It really is no worries. I'm happy to. Hiding the frustration that you feel inside. In truth, you are happy to serve generally. You are a very servant-hearted person. Like I said, you're always doing these kinds of things where you are putting God before yourself and you are coming to church and you are cleaning, you are cooking, you are on all of the different rosters. But in this moment, you quietly think to yourself, 
God, you better be watching this. I am working overtime this week. I'm really going hard. You better have good things on the horizon for me. So time goes by, week in, week out. You perform these tasks tirelessly. tirelessly. You are truly a great blessing to God's people at the church. Days turn to weeks, turn to months. But what's this? Our hypothetical person, that's you guys, has just hit a speed bump. The sprint through life has just come to a crashing halt. Everything is spinning. Guys, you've been made redundant due to budget cuts. Your health has taken a downhill plunge. You've lost a loved one. You can't help but think of the hours that you've spent at church doing stuff, stuff that somebody else could have been doing when you could have been at work earning some extra money to make sure that you had savings for this moment or making yourself irreplaceable so that way you wouldn't be cut. Time spent going to the gym or eating better so that way you weren't getting unhealthy. Time spent with someone who you now won't get to see again this side of heaven. How do you feel now? If you were upset before, you should be really upset now. Enraged, betrayed. You do nothing but work your butt off for God and here he is giving you the short end of the stick. So, you come before God full of your self-righteous anger and begin your most intimidating complaint ever. You, who are naught but dust, creations before the creator, come and say, God, it's not fair. I did my time. I paid my dues. Now give me the life I am owed, the one I have earned. These two hypothetical people, pretty different. One who serves much, and the one who serves little. But they have something in common, or well, two things in common. First thing, they are us, and not just for the purposes of the hypothetical. I want to stress that. This is genuinely, we all go through phases in life where this is us. We can be one of these people, or somewhere in the middle. The other thing that they have in common is that both of these people have forgotten something. They've, again, forgotten the value of the one whom they serve and the value of his sacrifice. You see, if the first one remembered, they would serve abundantly, not just give of, the, of their wealth, but of themselves and do so joyfully. They would prioritize the Lord of creation above their own commitments, above themselves and above their comfort because they would remember that they were prioritized first. Jesus put them before his comfort. He descended, he served, he died, he saved. If a person from our second story had remembered properly what their God had done for them and what he was worth, they wouldn't dare ask with indignation why something bad had happened to them. They know they are sinful and not deserving of what blessings they have received. 
they will understand deeply that obedience is not to be accepted as a cause for merit, but as a fulfillment of duty. You like that one? I found that one in a book. <laughs> obedience is not to be accepted as a cause for merit, but as a fulfillment of duty. Therefore, they are humble, knowing that they are not worthy of the blessings that they have received, that any good things are given out of God's grace, not given out of some obligation that God has with them to make sure his best Christians live really easy lives. Friends, the passage here today is about one thing. Service. Talks a lot about it. Service of our master who has served us in ways we cannot fathom or pretend to repay. He's a master who loves us and who died for us. A master who deserves our everything. A master who, if we understood the value of correctly, we would serve gladly. We would understand that service is not for a short time, it is not for a long time, it is for a lifetime. And at the end of the life that he has given us to serve, if we truly value our God, we would hold dearly in our hearts to the words, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. I'm going to pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you that you have served us, that you have shown us your mercy, that you have given us a gift that we cannot repay ever. Lord, I pray that you would instill in each of us a heart that wants to serve you tirelessly and that you would give us each um, blessings and the strength to serve you and glorify you with everything that we are and everything that we have. Pray this in your son's name. Amen.